Shalom, Jim. Shalom, Rabbi. Hard to believe that you're back in Arkansas. We were just together for a few weeks, and you made it back to America safely. Thank God. Baruch Hashem. I got back a few complications, but uh, got those out of the way, and uh, I, I miss all of you already, and uh, I feel like I left part of myself there. In, in wow, way. we miss you too. And I'm very grateful that we are able to cobble together a podcast together. We, we apologize to our loyal audience that our level of production is what it is, but our our um, faithful producer is on the front line still. So um, this will have to do in the meantime. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I miss Shlomo for so many reasons. And uh, if, if people haven't figured it out by now, he's such a talented uh, technician in many ways and self-taught too. So uh, he, he does a, a wonderful job on your videos. Yes, so how are boy. things, sir, since we last spoke? Well, you know what? There's a lot to report and there's a lot to um, contemplate as we enter into the 17th day of uh, our war against uh, Hamas. And, you know, the, the, um, the confluence of the Torah portions is, is it's always just absolutely spellbinding. But again, as we began to speak about last week, the emergence into the world of Avram Avinu, Abraham, the patriarch, the first Jew, and really the father of all converts to Torah, to knowledge of Hashem. It's pretty amazing because of who he was and because of his, um, his self-sacrifice and his dedication and his fierce courage you know, um, and everything that he represents, I, I find myself thinking about it um, and how, and how um, just compelling the, the, the events are as they unfold on the backdrop of, of basically our fighting for our survival in this land, for our, for our uh, sovereignty in this land, for our right to exist at all, really. And also for, the, for what Avraham Avinu, Abraham our father, for what he was also fighting for, which was the truth, Jim, mm -hmm. the knowledge of one God. And that, and that, you know, there's a price to pay. There is a price to pay for standing up to the truth. So the first thing that I want to say to begin in an upbeat way, because there's so much that we can uh, just um, implode over, just so much suffering and, and so much um, anguish that's being felt, the upbeat part of it is that the unbelievable emunah, the faith in Hashem that is bursting forth, is so overwhelming. You know, I'm sure you've read articles because you love Israel, and I'm sure you're following as best you can. You've read about the unprecedented volunteerism and the incredible, you know, um, the, the incredible precision and, and, and synchronicity of all of those people that are trying to just as civilians and, and all different walks of life trying to get things together in order to help the effort, to help our brethren, to help youth, youth suffering, to help get the forces, things that they need. I know my, I myself have basically laid aside everything else the past um, two weeks, and this is what I'm, I'm working on as well. Um, I was speaking to my son, Shlomo, who was in a unit that is... I don't want to say too much about it for security reasons, but it's... Uh, it's quite, oh my goodness, it's quite, it's quite uh, in there. And he's the only religious fellow in this unit because, you know, he's in Miluin, which means he's in, he's in reserve duty. He's in reserve duty. He, he's older now and married, about to have a child. So he's not in the standing army anymore. But of course, the 360,000 that have been called up or more are, we're talking about the reserves because everyone in Israel uh, until a certain age is a, is a combat soldier. So he is in this unit now uh, in, in his special area of, of uh, battle training. He's the only religious fellow there. And, uh, you know, Israeli society has often been described as being very polarized and kind of like a, a locking horns, you know, all the time between the secular and the religious. And, and in fact, that angle was, was just like played up so much in the, in the media just prior to to this whole thing happening, which, you know, also gives us a feeling that, it, that everything was, was coming from heaven. But anyway, he was, you know, you know that one of the things that's going on, I don't know if you've read about it, it's not, it's not anecdotal, it's actually amazing. One of the things going on is that you've got teams of people everywhere feverishly making tzitzit, Jim, you know what I'm talking about? The tzitzit, yeah, the, I, the, I, the, 
the fringes that are worn by a Jewish male on a four-cornered garment under, under the clothing or on the tallit is a positive commandment that a Jewish male is constantly wearing his tzitzit, right? So a lot of secular people you know, have no idea what it is and never, and never wore it before and could care less, you know, because they're, they're, they don't feel connected. So all of a sudden there's this tremendous, tremendous desire for tzitzit and kippot in the army. And, wow. and so, and so it, it, it very, one of the very beautiful things that's going around on social media in Israel is of like those people that haven't gone to the army yet, like in the, in the more what they call the ultra-Orthodox world. And by the way, there's a whole movement going on now where thousands of what, what are referred to as Haredim, like, like the yeshiva world that doesn't usually go to the army, they're all wanting to enlist. You know, they all, they're all rushing to the... To the to the enlistment station, but but it, there's a lot of films going around of like in study halls and in synagogues of like, of like hundreds of people making it sit because you know it's it's a little bit complicated. You have to know exactly how to tie it, the pattern of knots, and you have to say that it's for the it's for the sake of the holiness of the mitzvah, or it doesn't or it doesn't work. And you know, a person has to be knowledgeable in order to make them. So there's a lot of like Torah scholars and Torah students are making sit thousands and thousands because there's a big demand so so my son was saying that in his unit where he's the only religious person and you know so they're already counting on him like before they go out to do anything like they ask him to say the say the right prayer and everything and everything and they, they all want to eat kosher food but he's saying that every single boy in his unit is wearing tzitzit and a keeper right and then so there's this one guy who is like a disbeliever but i do the air quotes because you only you'll see that you know people only act that way but this one guy he's been like very anti and he says like he doesn't believe and the next day Shlomo sees him like where he sits it also I don't view this as insincere or as the concept of like oh there's no atheist in a foxhole the way that I view this is tshuva is real tshuva mm-hmm. I think and I think that it will stay with a lot of people because what I think that what, it, what we're really seeing is this deep chord of the, the Jewish soul that is resonating to this time and, and that is really realizing like the whole nation has to realize we have no leadership, we have no BB, we have no Golan, nothing, not we certainly have no America. What counts only is Hashem and our relationship with Hashem. And frankly, everything that's happening here, you know, people are, are you know, like tripping over themselves to explain, you know, that, it, that it's a punishment and, 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 and all sorts of kind of words that they're putting in Hashem's mouth. And I, and I admit that it's very, it's very tantalizing, you know, to plug it into all sorts of verses. And I myself have been, have been very compelled to see like a lot of amazing uh, allusions in prophecy because, you know, this is how, how things pan out. And, and it's, 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 it's not a co- nothing is a coincidence. But, the, but we also have to realize that, like we were speaking about last week, there's, there's the dimension of reality and there's the dimension of Hashem's world, the spiritual world. You know what, Jim, one of the main reasons why this is all happening is just because we do not learn from our own folly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 we, we suffer, as Torah predicts, we suffer from the consequences of our own actions and of our own mistakes. And that's what, that's what this is all about. It's about the, the blasphemy of Oslo and the blasphemy of the disengagement from Gaza and and all of the the the, the um, things that, that that have been either foisted upon us, or that we've caved into, or that have even been ideas of of the left in Israel to try and placate the Arab enemy, to try and and you know be at peace with our neighbors. The same the same people who make it very very clear they have no intention of living in peace. They only have intention of destroying us. So you know what we haven't learned. We haven't learned from our lessons and from our from our mistakes. And King Saul left Agag, the king of Amalek, alive. And God was highly critical of him and took the kingdom away from him because of that. And what does what does the famous statement of our sages tell us about that particular scenario of in from the book of Samuel of King Saul sparing Agag? The sages say, "He who is merciful to the cruel." will end up cruel. being cruel to the merciful. Mm-hmm. And, and so the whole issue of humanitarian uh, aid and everything is something that I'd really like to discuss today. It's, it's, it all needs to be understood in the context of the, the agony that's being felt by the, by, the, by the Jewish children in Israel. When you put a Jew in a corner, uh, you know, the, the, the real 
the real Jewishness really comes out. And and when I say real Jewishness, I mean the fact that they that every Jew, whether they want to, uh, you know, admit it or not, you know, we have the intellectual our intellectual friends that they don't. It's not in fashion. It's not fashionable. When you really put them in a, a hard place between a rock and a hard place, I think Moses was there once. But anyway, they really that belief in the one true God really comes out. And I can't help but think about the the prophecy. This is this sounds like it's on the way to fulfilling the prophecy in uh, is it Zechariah uh, about a, a man from the every ten men from every nations grabbing the seats. Right. Yeah. How would they how would they know to even grab that little corner? And in order to fulfill that prophecy, every Jew, wherever he is, has to be wearing the fringes. So to give, (laughs) because if each of us is going to have 40 men, 10 to each corner, then proportionally, we have to make sure that we have all all the tzitzit. But but you're 100% right. So I view it as a massive, there's that British word, massive, massive Jewish teshuva movements and you know what it's all from Hashem and and he's calling us back and you would have to be an absolute um I don't know what not to see that I think everybody sees it and and so it's all just it we're in a, a tremendous state of spiritual turmoil I wouldn't even call it a negative type of of of, of turmoil it's 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 just this this is this churning going on in the collective soul of Israel and that's what a situation like this does uh, to the nation. It's, it binds us together in a in a very special way. And again, I'm I'm looking at how it all started with Abraham, who, as a young child, is described as um, a person already that his personality was developing as a, 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 in in his youth. This tremendous thirst for truth, and and. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I know you're familiar with a lot of the, the backstory, but some of our listeners might not be. You know, the famous stories that a lot of people are aware of, of, of how he smashed his father's idols. But, but let, let's look at all of this in perspective, because nothing that the sages relate to us is a mere anecdote or a mere, you know, like a child's tale or something. So, so we know that, you know, from the time of Adam to the time of Noah, gradually, generation to generation, um, mankind lost sight of the oneness of God, even though Adam himself was the handiwork of of God Almighty. You know, Adam himself, and so that's a certainly a tradition that he handed down to his children and grandchildren. But yet, you know, again, like I said last week, uh, humanity seems to have a short fuse, and and how and, and and fueled by hubris and by by egocentric nature and by self centeredness, which all is a product of eating from the tree. Mankind began to look at things in a very disparate way. You know, there's wind, there's stars, there's moon, everything is a separate unit. And that gave him a license to view himself also as just a, a, a jumble of different forces, uh, anger and lust and, 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 and everything else. And, and that's what idolatry does. It, it, it brings out the worst in a person in every way. So, so, so by the time, you know, Noah came along, all that was left was Noah. And then we spoke about the fact that even in the, in the generations after the flood, again, we had the generation dispersion, the Tower of Babel, which, which was specifically a project that was taken on to, to, to um, rebel against God, you know. And then suddenly, and, and so things weren't going so well. And then suddenly in the end of, of the Torah portion of Noah last week, in the very end of chapter 11 in Genesis, Abraham appears on the scene. He's the guarantor now. He's the guarantor. And then this week's Torah portion begins in chapter 12. Lech Lecha, Rashem speaks to Abraham and tells him, go for yourself from your land. Leave everything behind that you know. Leave your father's house and the place that you were born, which we know is extremely difficult. And go to the place. It doesn't even tell him where you're going to go. And he didn't have ways. <laughs> he, didn't have, he didn't have to move it. He says, I'll tell you where you're going to go. And he didn't tell him yet. And there I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. This is an interesting thing on the backdrop of all the anti-Israel sentiment that's going on in the, in the world. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. So Avraham is, you know, described by the great sages, and Maimonides talks about it in such detail, how he was 
uh, a truth seeker, uh, the classic archetypal iconoclast from early youth. His father was totally bought off, totally woke, totally in the system, totally um, into uh, all the crazes of the day, TikTok and, and Instagram and all that stuff. His father was an idol salesman, right? No. So he... So he must have sold iPhones for a living, you know. He was an aisle salesman. He had all the latest in his showroom. And that's how he made a living. And, uh, and, and Abraham, the famous story, you know, his father left him, left him in charge of the shop one time when he went out, I guess, for a lunch date. And he came back and all the idols were smashed. And the, the biggest idol had a club in his hand. And he, Tarek asked what happened here. And Avram said, the big idol, the big guy, smashed them all and and then his father said you know that can't be they're just they're just uh, statues and he says so then Avram says so then why do you why do you sell them and that got him in trouble with Nimrod who was the ultimate ruler who punished him and threw him into the fiery furnace but, it, but again that everybody knows but there's so much more to what that story is telling us it's telling us that the world of, uh, of, idol of idolatry, which is the world of real politic, which the world of people like Nimrod, who I see in so many leaders today, they can't stand it when somebody, when someone challenges them, challenges them and they don't want people to know that there is someone to believe in, that there is something real, what reality really is. And that's why he, that's why he punished him. That, that we can't have this. We can't have this in this world. We cannot, he, his thing was like, we cannot allow you to live because of what you represent. Yeah. And, how did, and how did he get to this point, Avraham, again? Uh, you know, in, in uh, Maimonides describes it in his philosophical work, how he, how he um, looked at the whole world. And he actually spent a lot of time, like many decades of his early life, like traveling and studying and, and speaking to all the sages of the generation of all the different disciplines and, and, try, and trying on his own to understand the nature of the world. He was extremely um, uh, comprehensive and, and extremely uh, erudite and, and, and um, you know, he left no stone unturned. He, he was very thorough in all of his research and, and he came to the conclusion that everybody's telling me a lie about the world that nothing is real. Nothing is independent. Nothing is, it's just, uh, its own, its own, um, strength, but everything has to be coming from one source from the master of the universe. And it was then that Hashem appeared to him and established the relationship because of the depth of his, of his sincerity and his spiritual search and his willingness to take responsibility. Again, that's the idea of him appearing after all of those generations now. And that's the idea of, of Psalm 89, where he's described as etan ha'ezrachi. Etan, which means steadfast, ha'ezrachi, the citizen. He was the first citizen of the world. He was the first person who was willing to take responsibility for the legacy of God's name to be passed on through, man, through all generations. So this is this is the character who is our forefather, who is who is in our DNA, from whom we spring forth. And I feel, Jim, like that once again, it's him that's being thrown into the fiery furnace, Jim. It's him yeah. who's on trial once again. This whole thing is Nimrod all over again, trying to throw Abraham into the crematorium. And get down there and stay there, Jew. Like, what happened? I thought I burnt all of you already in the Shoah. Like, what, are you still here? Right? And, and Avraham is, is on trial again. And then we have this amazing verse in the end of last week's uh, Torah portion. Um, in, in chapter 11 and verse 28 that Haran died in the lifetime of Terah, his father, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what happened to Avram's brother? What happened to Avram's well. brother? So <laughs> the fam you know, the fam famous Midrash yeah. is that first, uh, first Nimrod throws Avraham in, and as he's getting ready to throw him in, he, he says to Avram's brother, so where do you stand on all this one God nonsense? Where do you stand? And Nachor, he was pretty sharp. And so uh, he says to himself, you know, you know what, Haran, excuse me, I will wait 
to see what happens to my brother. If he comes out, I'm on his side. If not, so he was completely on the fence, right? Completely yeah. on the fence. He was no, he was no fool. Right. And so, and so Nimrod says, okay. And so Avraham comes out and he's like, got like a mint julep in his hand. He's completely cool and collected. And so then Nimrod says, okay, now it's your turn. But he didn't come out. You see, and that again, we can learn all of these lessons and think that they're just tales from the Midrash for children or something and not understand the incredible sagacity, the incredible prophetic insight, the incredible and profound eternal wisdom that the sages are trying to give over to us in these simple metaphors. The idea being, that's not the way to take a stand for God. You cannot be on the fence. Right. So now it's like he was like playing it, playing it safe. And like and he was like hedging his bets, as it called. He was like insulating his, himself with insurance. Like, why should I take a stand about this? That's not emuna. That's not real faith. That's like that's like a, uh, the epitome of like um, doing something for one's own convenience, for for one's own self advancement, for what's politically correct, for what's acceptable in other people's eyes. So Abraham came out because Hashem was with him, like they were one unit. And his brother was fried because he was not sincere and he didn't really believe it. Again, how, what do these things have to do with us when we're so far from that and where I'm seeing Jews being burnt alive all around me? What it has to do with is that it is something that is bequeathed internally in the collective nation's DNA, the fabric of, of who we are as a nation. And that's coming out now in the unbelievable heroism and bravery that I, I want to talk about in the stories of, of unity and bravery that are not being reported, I think, so much in the, in the foreign press. So, and so the point is, I got to tell you, to me, it's the, it, this, the timing of, of these parshiot and kind of starting, you know, how everything started just as the Torah was being begun again on Shemini Yatzer, on Simcha Torah. That's when everything, all hell broke loose. You know, when we finished, Rizot Abracha and Deuteronomy, it started with the creation of the world and then the reset and now Avraham. So again, it's, it's like Avraham emerges. He wants to go out into the world now. Hashem is commanding him to go out into the world and teach the world, I'm here. I am the master of the universe. He jumped up to Avraham and he said, it's me that you're looking for. You know that I'm here. You're the only one. You're the first. That's why he's called, Avraham is called God's friend, right? Hebron, the city of Avraham. Hebron, Hebron comes from Haver, from friend, because, yeah. because, because Hashem, in basically in almost 20 generations, had very few people to talk to. He talked to Adam. He talked to Noah. He had nobody to talk to because nobody was looking for him. And then Avraham comes in and he wants to change all that. And he wants to teach the world to sing. He wants the whole world to know that there's only one God. And so what was the world's reaction? This can't, this can't, we cannot abide by this. We cannot abide by this. But, but then there's a sharp turn in the Midrash that describes that, that after he emerged from the fiery furnace, then he became a world leader. Then it was recognized exactly who he was. And, the, and it's beautiful descriptions about how nations and leaders and kings from all different nations would send their children to Avraham. He made like an academy. And he's the only one that they trusted to teach their children because he knew that he, was, they weren't, he wasn't going to teach them LJBQ and, and woke and, 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 and child mutilation and TikTok and all these things. Avraham is going to teach them the truth. That's what, that's what his whole position was so after he came out and he showed the world who he was then the world wanted to learn from him and they and 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 that's why he was considered to be that's why when he went to the to the benechet to purchase the the tomb of the patriarchs later they said you're a prince of god among us they understood exactly who he is that's exactly what's going to happen now as well when we shine forth with all of the collective power of what israel really is in the world and we stop with all of the nonsense about about uh uh, how we have to act and the world's and the world's permission and thanking everyone that they admit that we do have the right to protect ourselves. <laughs> Anyone else would talk like that way. It's so unbelievable, but Oh, we do have the right to protect ourselves. You're sure. And so when all of that stops and we just become the people that Hashem entrusted us to be through Avraham, everything will change. And so just like Avraham is on trial now to me, his brother represents the world. The brother who was on the fence, who wouldn't, who wouldn't take a stand for, for Avraham until he had scientific proof. 
he wouldn't take a stand for the one God of Israel because he, he didn't want to take any chance because he was, you know, wishy-washy. That's exactly what's going on now with everybody in the world. As we began to speak about last week, is being tested. Where do you stand on all of this? You are now in the position of, are you going to, going to the fire furnace or not? That's what it's all about. And, and I got to tell you something, Jim. It's now, the count is now 1,400 people that were murdered. 1,400, I say people, really Jews, that were murdered on October 7th. So you have these unbelievable rallies in favor of Hamas, right? You have all of these, these rallies in that day. From, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free means that there is no Israel. That basically is a call for the destruction of Israel. And all of these people, even in high places, even in universities, even Hollywood stars, even uh, uh, politicians who are basically uh, uh, either approving or downright praising the massacre and coming out in favor of of Hamas. And so the, the, the question is this, and this could be the whole podcast and we could go home now. I just want to say this one sentence. Tell me something. What other group in the world is there that could have 1,400 of its people murdered in one day and have the world side with a murderer? Right. Would you have that with any other nationality? Would you have it with black people in America? Would you have it with anyone where, God forbid, if 1,400 human beings were murdered in one day, that, that unabashedly in the streets, in the capitals, in universities, from the halls of power, in the media, you would have people siding with the murderers? What the heck is going on with the world? And if that's not that split screen of Nimrod saying, are you in or are you out? Then what is, you know, right. people, and like I said, people are making their choice. The masks are already off. Okay. So fine. That's exactly yeah. what, the, that, that's exactly what this is all about. Bring it on, bring it on. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of hypocrisy and, and nobody can tell me what to say and what not to say and what's real and what's not real. I have a son that's, that's fighting on the Southern Front. I know exactly what this is all about. I know exactly what this is all about. The Vilnov Gaon, the great, the great uh, prophetic uh, the, the sage. Rabbi Elijah Vilna. Yes, and he was called the, the Vilna or the, the genius of, uh, of, of Vilna. Uh, right. Vilna. And he, uh, he, he speaks of, and I don't know when the, this might have taken place at the, at the uh, the covenant between the pieces, but he speaks of, of Hashem um, giving Avraham Avinu a, a choice. He said, in the future, your descendants will um, will be judged at some point, and they will have to be punished for trans, you know, aggressing their the, the covenant, and that that uh, Avraham Avinu has to sit all day and ponder the choices given to him, Hashem, do you, do you want your, dis and to, to put this thing on us, on Avraham, tells you the character that we just spoke of. It reinforces what kind of soul this man possessed in that uh, Hashem said to him, for the uh, the punishment, they can either go into Gehenna in the afterlife, or they can go it through, go through it while they're living and and the amazing thing about it was Hashem sort of advised him and said, you know, if if they go through it while they're living, while they well, I put them into exile, they will be able to go all over the world and accomplish what what you want accomplished, which is to make the presence of God a reality in the world. And so it's, it's the 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 the, the, the Vilna Gaon says uh, he chose to to let them go through exile. And the reason he did was because he knew that where, wherever God sent the Jewish people, he that the Jewish people would take the the uh, the awareness and the knowledge of the Creator with them, and thereby bring about bring about the redemption. And so, it, it's it's um, it's a choice that he had to make, and yet he made that knowing it would be the better of the two choices. That if they just gone into Gehenna afterwards, we wouldn't have. We couldn't look forward to our redemption. Again, I think I think that that's exactly what we're seeing now. We're seeing the resurgence of the of the the collective spirit of Abraham and every single Jew that's going through all of this. You mentioned you mentioned you know I was I started to say you know about how um, 
I find it impossible to understand how people could be siding with the murderers and, and who other group other than the Jews. And every, everybody's woke. Everybody's completely correct. Except when it comes to the Jews, they're the, they're the only people about whom you can still get away in, in our political world with, with this kind of thing. So you, so you mentioned, you know, despite the atrocities. So my, so my question is, are they are people who are coming out en masse and lauding Hamas after the unspeakable atrocities that we have experienced, are they unaware of the atrocities or do they not care or do they not want to know? So just a brief update. We've been speaking about this, right? Again, October 7th, the last day of, of the festival, Shmini Atzeret, 1,400 is the number of people who were murdered on that day. And again, it includes burning babies and their parents alive. People were taken hostage, including elderly people, children, people with severe illnesses, people with special needs. Um, again, in, in, in social media, on Facebook, you can see every day the, the people, the beautiful faces of young people and old people. New details uh, have emerged since the last time you and I were talking. Um, you know, th they came with maps, Jim. The terrorists, you know, right. a thousand terrorists or more. They came with detailed maps and they knew the name of every family in every one of the communities that they went to perform this slaughter. They knew the room layout. They knew the number of children. They knew who had guns and who doesn't have guns. They knew everything. Because the civilian population of Gaza, who had been maintaining close relationships with many of the people in these communities in the guise of, you know, humanitarian and health and, 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 and a desire for peace and what they call coexistence. And like one woman was talking about how um, there's, a, there's a certain... Uh, Arab from Gaza that that everybody in her community had hired to do electrical work and to do plumbing and he was like a a, a member of the family in all of their houses and he's the one who gave over information to to them uh, uh, about um, uh, uh, the details of their of their homes. Uh, I explained about how these numbers keep on changing because they are still pulling bodies out, Jim. It's it's impossible to understand the. Uh, extent of the destruction without seeing pictures and the pictures are very very difficult to see it's absolutely unspeakable what they did in the in these places and uh again entire families that were slaughtered so so far now i don't know if you know that this number also went up to as of today the idf has informed the families of 222 people right. that their loved ones have been kidnapped Again, the numbers keep changing because there are so many people that there are that are that are unaccounted for. We know that so far, three hundred and eight uh, soldiers and members of the defense forces were killed. But of the rest of that number of fourteen hundred, they were all civilians. There are twenty-one children from thirteen families without parents. Twenty-one children from thirteen families. Uh, without parents. It reminds me of the verse that we just finished saying again in Psalm 27, for my father and my mother have abandoned me and Hashem will gather me in. Uh, Rabbi, don't forget that they have video of the, they have video of the citizens of Gaza the very day this happened. Unbelievable. Out in the, in the streets cheering and dancing. But it's more than that. They, they, they came, they came en, en masse pouring into the kibbutzim and into these communities to loot the homes yeah. as the people were being killed. Yeah. So in the meantime, um, there was a, just um, yesterday, um, President Isaac Herzog gave a, a press conference. No, it wasn't a press conference. It was an interview that he gave with Sky News in which he revealed that Hamas had planned to use chemical weapons. Right. As well, they they retrieved a, a USB drive from the body of one of the terrorists that infiltrated that was copied from Al Qaeda and included detailed I quote detailed instructions on creating chemical weapons, including precise instructions for preparing a device for dispersing cyanide ag agents. And so the, the, the destruction actually could have been a lot uh, worse as well. 
Um, and again, there, there are so many stories that I don't think people have heard enough of, of uh, unbelievable acts of bravery of uh, individuals single-handedly uh, saving scores of people, uh, uh, terribly outnumbered, uh, and, and uh, individuals who saved others who threw themselves on grenades. And uh, who know, who can even describe what went on? In the meantime, um, it was just last week in last week's podcast that that day that that big story that was coming to light was uh, the the bombing of a hospital in Gaza, and the whole yeah. world was very very quick to accuse Israel. <laughs> that fitted it perfectly. Couldn't it couldn't wait. It, could it couldn't wait. As yeah. the archbishop the archbishop of Canterbury called it a blood libel. So that's that's really something. If the Archbishop of Canterbury, who in my opinion is no great friend of the Jews, uh, even he had called it a blood libel, but that's the way the world is. And so they were just absolutely, if you, if you would pardon me, bloodthirsty to be able to gleefully state that, that Israel bombed the hospital. And very, very shortly, Israel was able, was able to prove that it was actually a, a backfire. That is, if it wasn't on purpose to manipulate public opinion, because Hamas would do that, a backfire of, of a uh, enemy uh, missile. President Biden very quickly accepted that. And now also we're reading about how uh, even the New York Times and the BBC and Reuters and CNN, they all uh, basically uh, accepted the evidence. I guess you have to if it's evidence that it was not Israel, much to their disappointment. But that story about the hospital kind of um, highlighted the whole issue of the the humanitarian uh, face or aspect of, of all of this and how that is an, an integral part of every consideration, the humanitarian corridors that have to be open so that aid can reach the, the people in, in Gaza whom the IDF instructed to, to move towards the south. And the whole idea about what that means exactly, because as we mentioned, that famous statement from our sages that the, he who was merciful to the cruel will end up being cruel to the merciful. Jim, it's impossible for a person who is not following the story or who is not connected to the military here, uh, it's impossible to understand the, the extent of what Hamas built up. They literally built an underground city. It's referred to as the metro. It is a, a concrete reinforced, right? All the, all the time that when Israel had a blockade of Gaza, they said, we can't let concrete in. And by people, Dennis Ross, and other people said, no, but they have to build in Gaza, they have to build hospitals, they have to build schools. And Israel said, oh, they're going to use it for uh, tunnels. And that's exactly what they did. So that's where the command center is. Those leaders of Hamas that are still in Gaza, because the real leaders are in Qatar, living in absolute luxury, while their people are suffering. So, so they built this incredible labyrinth of mazes. And just this past week, even in, in, in what's called the West Bank in, in Samaria, the IDF located a military compound underneath a mosque in Jenin and bombed it. And of course, the world could say that Israel's bombing mosques. This is what they do. They had, they had a complete um, a, 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 you know, command post hidden underneath this mosque from where they were able to plan action against Israel. So, so you have this whole idea of, of you know, how, do, how does this work exactly? And we were talking about the civilian population of Gaza, and I'm sure that of the million people, there must be some, maybe, that are not looking to destroy Israel, although they voted Hamas as their government. But Jim, how does a guerrilla movement turn into an army? It's only through the people. If the people would not be supporting it, even though the people themselves are, are supposedly abused by, by Hamas and everything is stolen from them. And even the United Nations Relief Agency said before they had to take it back because their lives were threatened, they admitted that Hamas was stealing things that were meant for the so-called refugees. It, it, it couldn't have come, become what it became if it wasn't for the complicity of the people of Gaza. And in the meantime, again, one of the heads of the, of the terrorists lives in, in Qatar and, 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 you know, again, the hypocrisy of the world, of all of the people that are sitting on the fence and waiting to see what happens to Avraham before they take a stand for God, screaming about humanitarianism and how terrible Israel is. How many people are aware of this amazing story that was uh, here reported at least a couple of months ago that one of the daughters 
of one of the leaders of Hamas received medical treatment in Israel. This was actually in October 2014. It was just a few months after the 2014 uh, Gaza war that Hania's daughter spent a week in an Israeli hospital in Tel Aviv for an emergency treatment. It's, it's, yeah, I can't form the words. This is a daughter of one of the most virulent, anti-Semitic, brutal, savage leaders of Hamas in Gaza. His daughter was secretly admitted to an Israeli hospital for emergency medical treatment. And, and I think she was there for um, a week. Um, Israeli, uh, neither Israeli nor Palestinian officials ever confirmed or denied the story. But the way that it was described in the press was very lovely, that this is, it shows the humanitarian coordination between the sides. So this, this particular um, leader of Hamas is described as follows. Hania, who has 13 children, is the leader of the Islamist group, Islamic group in Gaza and one of its most senior figures overall, serving as a deputy to Khalid Mashal, who lives in exile. Two sources, one Palestinian and the other a foreign diplomat with knowledge of the case, declined to name the daughter and, out of respect for her privacy, asked the details of her condition not being published. Like many Hamas officials, Hania spent the seven-week-long war largely in hiding. Why, Jim? Why was he in hiding? Because he is a... Um, because he is... Um, what should I say? He spent it in hiding because Israel has a price on his head because he is a monster who is responsible for the death of thousands of Israelis. But Israel went and quietly and, and secretly and modestly treated his daughter for some life-threatening complication in a Tel Aviv hospital. So I'm not saying that that was the wrong thing to do. I think that was amazing, I guess. I'm not saying anything about that. I'm not, I'm not judging that. That's not my point. My point is how amazing that, that, that Hamas could be. So I guess it's not amazing. I guess maybe we're just useful idiots. We're, we're actually useful it, idiots. It, can, it, can you imagine that, that, yeah. that now his operatives are coming to Israel and they slit the throats of babies and cut their heads off and burnt them in their cribs and assassinated entire families and abused children and raped women and then burned them. But he sends his daughter, it's like the old joke, there's nothing like a Jewish doctor, Right? Yeah. He sends his daughter to a hospital in Israel. I have no words. I have no words, but I would like the world to know about that because it says something. I'm just not sure exactly what. Well, he does say something about uh, Avraham. The Jews are known for through for three midot, three three characteristics: their modesty, um, their kindness, and their mercy. It could be that mercy to those children is cruelty to our children. Because, uh, okay, I mentioned the instructions that they had for creating a cyanide agent and their intention in Israel to uh, activate chemical weapons. Um, they also, um, also was found on the bodies of the gunmen, um, extensive plans to target an elementary school and a youth center with a goal, and I quote, to kill as many people as possible, as well as manuals with instructions on how to torture and kidnap those that they found. And again, Jim, the vast majority, the vast majority of those killed in the border communities were civilians, including babies, children, and the elderly, entire families, over 260 kids slaughtered at the outdoor music festivals amongst the many horrific acts of brutality by the terrorists. And again, as slowly and gingerly and with, and with gut-wrenching, you know, um, patience and difficulty, bodies are being identified. Some could never be identified. That's why there are hundreds still that haven't been identified. They're still pulling bodies out of the rubble. Just yesterday, a terrorist was found trying to make his way back after having hidden for two weeks along the border, right? So... Um, the Institute for, for Forensic Medicine that's responsible for, for all of this work that's working 24-7 to try and 
identify and be in touch with loved ones and, and figure out who's who because there's still so many people missing and that's why the numbers keep changing because you still don't know exactly who's kidnapped and who's missing and who's dead. But they're now talking about the terrible signs of torture on, the, on some of the bodies. Even as we speak about this, uh, Israel has just tested a new missile system, which is even more discreet at targeting so that there will be less civilian casualties. This is the soul of the Israeli people that says, you know, we don't want people to necessarily die if we even when we have to defend ourselves. And yet, when you look at this operation that, that they pulled off on, on Shemini Atzeret, the final day of, of, of Sukkot, this there was there was nothing about even engaging the IDF in this onslaught. No, it was a, the purpose of that whole onslaught was to destroy, was to rape and pillage and burn and kill as many Jews as possible. Again, Jim, just as of yesterday, police say that the bodies of 769 civilians have been identified, but that is out of 1,400 people. Only yeah. 769 have been identified. And then one of the one community in particular is called Be'eri. And oh, that's a, oh, the yeah. photographs from this place, it's with 20% of the population was murdered. And the volunteers are working there now around the clock, aiding the, the defense forces in, in sifting through the ashes of this place that is completely reduced to rubble. There are 20 forensic volunteers that are working there and it's two weeks already. And so so, so one-fifth of the population was either murdered or, or kidnapped. And so far from that, from that whole community, 108 bodies have been uh, retrieved and identified. Um, but they're saying after 15 days now that, that, that they still have to go through so much rubble looking for some sort of sign of, 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 of being able to identify uh, so that some, some families uh, have some uh, closure. But it's, it's unspeakable. I mean, who, again, who's ever seen this kind of thing? And yet, who's ever seen people that are considered to be influencers, people that are considered to be in the higher echelon, intelligent people, uh, educated people, People that are respected, people that are in the political echelon, who ever heard of people cheering for such savage murderers talking about how Palestine shall be free? Are, and there's these people are called freedom fighters. And that's what is so unbelievable. What part of what we are describing when we're talking about cold-blooded killing of civilians, but not just killing, we're talking about gleeful, horrific, inhuman, barbaric murder, violent rape, kidnapping of infants. Who, who calls that freedom fighting? Who, 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 who calls a freedom fighter, a brave, brave freedom fighter, somebody who takes a grandmother from that survived the Holocaust into Gaza? It's just unbelievable that this could, that this could be going on. And, and by the way, in the cleanup, uh, there's also uh, 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 the bodies of, of, of many, many terrorists, and amongst them, they're finding, they found so far over a thousand weapons, 2,000 grenades, 1,000 RPG rockets, 1,200 explosive devices of various types. And, 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 and here the IDF found in the area of the community of Kisufim, they found a child's school bag that was booby-trapped with seven, seven kilo of explosives, knowing that someone would pick up a child's school bag. The whole thing is like the inversion of what it means to be a human being. That's who Hamas is. And so, and so when a person wants to, wants to scream out against uh, uh, Greta Thunberg and, and, and all of these people that are talking about freedom fighting and Hamas, words don't even come because how, how do you begin to explain to someone why they should not be lauding this this kind of savagery, I, 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 I can't I can't somehow make that understood by a person who doesn't understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like uh, the world leaders that are behind. You know, these are all proxies we're talking about. You know, the the, the these people are the Hamas. You know, is doing the dirty work of uh, all of the leaders in this world that are. That hate Israel because you know Israel is inconvenient is is very inconvenient to their plan. 
of, of setting up what they think is going to be a utopia. Yeah, that's you know. the whole idea of throwing Avraham into the fiery furnace. This we have this exactly. has to stop. We cannot have this, these people teaching the world that there's only one God. Isn't this where Avraham goes to save his his nephew Lord. Exactly, exactly. So I have to tell you these... the deepest secret in the world, Jim. Because uh, uh, thank you. Yeah. This is this is unbelievable, right? Again, again, it's, it's it's more than chilling. It's like your hair could stand on end. Understanding how this is all happening as we're reading these Torah portions. So, first of all, Hashem reveals Himself to Abraham and begins to talk to him and says, "Now I want you to go to this land that I will show you, and there you're going to become. You're literally going to be a blessing." And all those who bless you will be blessed, and all those who curse you will be cursed, right? But then right away, he's, he begins to be tested. And you know, there's a whole idea that... Uh, ten tests. Abraham was tested ten times, right? And the first test appears right away where there was a famine. As soon as he, he goes where he was told to go, there's a famine. So he has to go down to Egypt, and he has trouble with Pharaoh, which is also like this incredibly powerful spiritual um, template of the future, and, and yeah. everything that and everything, all the seeds that he was sowing. And then he returns to the land of Israel and he has to part from his nephew Lot. And then he gets involved with this war of the kings. Where, what is that? Who are they? And I mean, we could yeah. spend 2,000 years talking about who these people really were and what, and what this was all about. It's very mysterious the way we just read it in the, in the skeletal form in the Tanakh. There's a war between four kings and five kings. And, and Avraham's uh, nephew is, is kidnapped. Mm-hmm. How many times do you hear about someone kidna- kidnapped? And now that one of the one of the major uh, reasons for living for 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 us here in the land of Israel now is those that are kidnapped. And so here now exactly. we're reading that Lot was kidnapped, yeah. and and uh, and Abraham gets involved in this war. But the the unbelievable thing, Jim, and, and if 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 I. I have to just tell you the truth. It's, it's spellbinding. There's a very ancient work that, that I've been fond of quoting from time to time. The Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, Chapters of Rabbi Eliezer, is one of, one of the most important ancient sources of Midrash. Yeah. Very holy ancient work. T- says that the whole reason for this war was to kill Avraham. Exactly. It was all just a subterfuge. It's like it wasn't yeah. about territory or about this one's this one's reign or that one's reign, as if these kings really were rebelling against each other. And no, it was all a, a ruse to kill Avraham. And they said, "Oh well, the way that we're going to rope him in is we're going to start with his nephew. We're going to we're going to catch his nephew so that he'll have to come." And that's that's the whole thing. I mean, do I, do I have to say anything else? Yeah, there's there's even this amazing detail that that uh, that Lot apparently re- resembled Avraham, and there's this other sidebar that says it's possible that they thought they were kidnapping Avraham. Oh, that's that's it's, really it's interesting. fascinating. And but but what I think people should look at, they should go back and they should read this because it names the four kings and the nations they lead. And if you do a little homework, you'll see that all four of these nations. This is the beginning of the four ki- world kingdoms yes. that 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 the the Jewish people will constantly be uh, battling all through history. So this is, you know, Rabbi, we talk about this idea that his his life, his whole life was a template for the future of Israel and Israel's interaction. There is an idea on what you're saying that Hashem was showing him the future of the four kingdoms yeah. that his children would be subservient to until the coming of Mashiach. Right, and it's and it's the four that if you're familiar with your your Torah, if not, it's it's uh, uh, Babel, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and these, these people, yeah, which is Edom slash Edom, and that that because of this battle and because he won, the sages tell us that that uh, that Israel, his descendants, will be battling those four kingdoms again near the the times of of the arrival the 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 footsteps of mashiach and that because because and here's our hope again is that because abraham avino was successful in routing these four kings that israel in the future will also have the same experience amen amen yeah abraham is um, absolutely in our blood and everything that he went through is a template for for his children. And 
you know, we're going to be learning about Yitzchak, and Hashem tells him that through Yitzchak your seed will be called, and Yitzchak, Isaac, is one of the only uh, people in the Tanakh who was named before his birth, and Yitzchak means laughter in future tense, you know, in future tense, um, because it will be revealed that uh, it was all for the good. It was all Hashem's plan. It's all, it's all some sort of, how do I explain this? Yitzchak, Yitzchak in a way, uh, doesn't make any sense because as, as we will learn further, when Avraham bound him to the Isaac, I know you're aware of this, uh, he actually died on the altar. Um, although uh, the, the angel stopped him, he, he expired before, before Avraham was able to stop that. And then he came back to life. Mm-hmm. And and that and that it was like the first person that was resurrected, as it were, which is the very core and secret of of of, of Israel. That resurrection. And Isaac Isaac offered himself. He was completely, you know, he tie, you know, father tie, bind me so that I don't me move and, and ruin. Right. The, he was the he offering. wasn't a child as is depicted sometimes no, in Bible illustrations. He was thirty seven years old. Yeah. Right. So, so he said, "Time so that I don't involuntarily uh, try to try to get up." But the thing is, because of the fact that Abraham and Sarah could not even have children physically, and God changed their very nature miraculously, and then because of the fact that, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that he was ninety-nine years old, a hundred years old when Yitzchak was born. And the third thing is that after all that, Hashem, Hashem says, "Okay, now I want you to kill him." And then the fourth thing is that he prepared to do that, and, and then Hashem stopped him. But, but Isaac had like a, I guess, a, a fright and expired, and the fire burnt him, and then he came back to life. All of that, the idea that's again that's being conveyed, is that it's like the children of Israel are not of this world, meaning that they're they're not bound by the rules of of this of this world. They're something, something else altogether. They're, they, they're death defying. They don't make any sense. They, they, they can't be here. You can't have a child when you're, when you don't even have physically the ability to have a child. And Sarah, Sarah, our mother didn't even have a womb, Jim. Right. So, so when you can't, you? when you can't have a child and then God changes nature. And then after everything that Yitzhak had been through, and then he comes into the world and then he leaves the world, and then he comes back again. This, this is all, a again, a template for the future of Israel in the world, defying the odds, and as it were. Uh, yeah, that's what the Vilna Gaon was getting at with this, this idea of this conversation between Hashem and, and Avraham was, you know, which, which path do you prefer? It's your choice. Right. And the idea was because he chose the exile, because they would be going into, they would have all these experiences and go all over the world to to save the world, is that that God would would uh, because he accepted that God would keep the people of Israel alive. It was a nation that would that would extend into the future, and that's why that's why you're called Am Olam, you're called an eternal people, and and that's why. You know, all of this is, you know, as sad and terrible and shocking as all of this is, our 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 hope and our faith remains in Hashem because we know what plans He has for you and has always had for you. And, you know. So, so you, again, regarding this choice that the world has to uh, understand what has happened here and what will happen next to 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 everyone in the world that because this is the final battle between good and evil really it really is but to but to but to underline that again you know these people calling calling them freedom fighters you know whoever lauded a freedom fighter for 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 butchering a baby you know another another revelation in addition to the chemical warfare thing and the manuals for kidnapping and torturing and and the maps of the homes another another revelation that came out was that a drug was found in the pockets of the terrorists was retrieved from the bodies of those that were that were killed by by the IDF. It's a drug called Captagon, and it was used by ISIS. And the, these pills were found in the pockets of the terrorists. It is a, a stimulant 
that enables uh, that enable the terrorists to commit acts of savagery with a sense of calmness and indifference, and also keeps them highly alert for extended periods and suppresses appetite. So this drug gained notoriety first in 2015 because it, it was discovered that it was used by ISIS fighters to suppress fear, to carry out terrorist oper operations. It turned into a whole kind of um, big market. Uh, Lebanon and Syria began producing and distributing the drug on a large scale. And Gaza in particular became a very popular market for the drug and it became addictive. It's a type of amphetamine. And this is, was, was given to these terrorists so that they would be able to just go and go and go and kill and kill and kill. Mm -hmm. So that was, their, that was their whole goal. Again, they had, they had manuals of how to torture and instructions to kidnap. Put that over there for a minute. And now back to Avraham. So you mentioned earlier about this aspect of mercy, the, the three attributes of Avraham that he gave over to his children, to be merciful and to be kind and to be humble. So you know that Avraham is associated with kindness, right? Everybody knows that. Sure. His, his, he is called the man of kindness. He is, um, again, associated with Eitan HaEzrochi in Psalms 89, where we have that important verse, the world was created with kindness. And, and that is the, the attribute of Hashem that he most identified with. And whenever we talk about Avraham, we're talking about Midat HaChesed, the attribute of kindness. Why is that? Like, what is it about Avraham that bespeaks kindness or that, or that resounds kindness or that somehow, you know, and you know very well what I'm speaking about, right, Jim, that in all the yeah. writings, Avraham in, in the Kabbalah also, he is Chesed. He is the attribute of kindness. Yeah. Well, there is there is one there's one story in it, it's in the it's in the midrash and also in the old tradition. I don't think I, I think th there's more to it than just this, but you know he spent years at the table of, of Noah. You know he studied with Noah. You know that, and the, the the account says that when he heard of the kindness that Noah showed to to, to the dumb animals on the ark by feeding them first. That he 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 reasoned within himself: if Noah can be that kind to an animal, how much more kind can I be to my fellow man? You know, that's yeah, one no. of the explanations. That's, that is very beautiful, and and I just want to elaborate a little bit. That please again, when we speak about the the um, early career of Avraham from his childhood of how he was searching so sincerely, how he was looking. For God in the universe, how he looked up at the stars and he said, is that God? No. And then he looked up at the moon and he said, maybe that's God. And then it set. And then the sun came out. So he thought maybe that was God until he began to understand this is, again, this is a, a vehicle that Chazal used to try to make us understand this, his process, which was a very sincere and thorough process of investigation until he realized that everything has to be one. And the whole idea of oneness, you know, Avraham is associated forever with the oneness of God. We are being killed now, and we call all of our resources to stand up for the concept of the oneness of God. The oneness of God doesn't just mean that there aren't three or 56. It means that there's nothing but Hashem in the world. There is nothing but God. God is the only reality. And for that, a Jew gives his life and hopefully lives, lives like a Jew should live, all about the concept that there's, that there's only one God. And Abraham is the one who bequeathed that to the world. The world was, was drowning and mired in, 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 in this swill of idolatry until Abraham was able to focus and understand that there's only one God. But according to the sages, the way he discovered it, after looking at the celestial bodies and understanding that there has to be one creator that created everything, looking up at the stars, you know, the thing that really swayed him was that he realized that the world was created for kindness and that Hashem's creation of the world was a kindness to man. It was a kindness of man. And, there, and that's why, this is so beautiful, this idea is, is, it sounds very simple, but it's very, very deep. That's why he became obsessed with kindness, so that later we read in Parshat Vayera, he's sitting in the tent in the heat of the day, hobbling, 99 years old, he just had his circumcision, but he can't stand the fact that there's no guests. 
for him to wait on her Selim. So Hashem made it extra hot so there wouldn't be any guests. But then he was so upset that he had to send three angels just for him to feed because he so much wanted to bestow kindness upon a stranger because, because random acts of kindness to him was the greatest imitation of God. So but why did he become so obsessed with kindness to the extent that he was actually identified with kindness? Because that's how he came to God. Because he realized that the whole world is a, is a showcase of kindness. And this is why Hashem created man. And that is so beautiful because that's really what we're trying to bring to the world. And, and, and in a way, Jim, if the Jewish people are on trial now and if the Jewish people are being slaughtered because they're Jews and if we have to stand up for ourselves with what it really means to be a person, it's about kindness being on trial. It's about what it means to bring the light of the one God of, of, of truth, the one God of reality, bringing that into the world is about kindness. And, and the world, as you know, has imploded into, yeah. uh, into a, caca a cacophony of cacophony. idolatrous... Cacophony. Cacophony? Yeah. Of idolatrous noise. And so... I believe that, that, that to expound further upon the choice that people are given now, it's really about, you know, whether or not one wants to let that light of kindness into one's own life or just mindlessly parrot off that which is going to get them into their into the inner circle, into the clique. You know, you have all these Hollywood actors who are... Siding, siding with Hamas and talking about the suffering of the people in Gaza and they won't even mention the massacre. That's why I said earlier, do they even know about it? Do they know about the atrocity? Do they choose not to do it? Do they choose to ignore it? Do they, do they deny it? And who are they, Jim? What is their greatness? I, I know you like movies. I know you grew up with the movies. Okay, we all, we all like the movies. But who are these people? What do they stand for? What values do they have? Are they, why, do, why are they worshipped? Why, why are they considered to be great? <gasps> this, and the, this or that actor or star said, or rock star or, 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 or uh, rapper said this or that. Whoa, that must mean it's true. Who are these people? Who are these people? Honestly, well, what is their legacy? What are, they, what are they bringing over to the world? They're basically narcissists. They're idols, Jim. They made themselves yeah. into idols to be worshipped, right? Idols, exactly. And they're the they ones that, be... that and, but they, you know, they can't say anything that won't be popular. And since, you know, the, the masses of, of the, um, of the uh, mindless zombies in the world are parroting all of this, all of this um, uh, inanity about, about Israel being responsible, so they have to say it too. And well, but, but if he said it, it must be true. That's exactly what we've come down to. And into all of the, into that malay, into that whole big potpourri of confusion, enter Avraham. And he's punished for it. And then he, and then he proves through his life that only Hashem is God. And that's the legacy that he gives to us. And so I bless all of, all of our listeners and viewers that they have that strength to make that choice and stand up for the, for the one living God and stand up for the side of rights and rejoice in the kindness of Hashem and want to do something to bring more kindness into the world and to stand for the side of, for the side of Israel. Amen. Shalom.